Well, I'm really glad you're here. We have sheets for everybody. We also have pens because some people said, man, I loved last week. Uh, my friend Jonathan, who's my daughter's friend, Annabelle's friend, Jonathan, took notes with crayons, and he said, man, I would have loved to have a pen because it was really hard to take notes with crayons. We didn't anticipate you taking notes with crayons, but we did anticipate you coloring with crayons. Um, so there are sheets from last week. How many of you listened to the podcast? Who, if you weren't here, you listened to the podcast, and some of you were here and listened to the podcast. But if you do listen to the podcast and you weren't here last week, I refer to these diagrams going from left to right. We had all three of these last week, and this will be our installment for tonight, just one. Um, I've cleaned up the writing on here, so if you took notes last week, there's actually more on here, and it's clarified. So if you want to jot those things down, I want you to do that. I'm going to review, but I'm going to go through these quick. So if you have questions, if you weren't here last week, and you have questions about these, um, write these things down, and then listen to that podcast. Hopefully that will help you and we'll be able to move forward. So I am going to start, after I refer to these just a little bit, I'm going to start with the third canvas, and then this is our canvas specifically for tonight. Okay? Um, anybody want to give me some takeaways? Let's, let's just get a, in a sense, I'll hear from you, and you will kind of begin the review. Not just um, what did you, you know, what did I say, but what did, what did the Spirit stir in you since last week's listening or when you listened on, in the podcast? Let's hear a couple quick feedbacks. Luke, all the way back. Uh, I guess it was just really impactful in my life. I, I didn't realize how often I was going to the scriptures every morning, or not every morning, but yeah. <laughs> fairly regularly, just to find a signpost for the day. Yeah. And how would you describe a signpost? Um, I guess just, you know, trying to find something, some nugget of truth to, to learn from, to, I guess, in a way, you know, and my thinking before is kind of grow in my relationship with God. Yeah. And just remind myself of those truths. Yeah. That was good, but then I was really, when I started realizing that I was missing the point. Mm. Did you feel that in life, too? Like, you know, sometimes yeah. when we just go to a signpost, we feel like I really need a signpost again the next day to, to be the banner, and I know that that's... That's the danger of something that's less treasureful. You know, we can treasure signs because they point us to a certain place, but we're supposed to be led to that place, which is a person. Yeah. yeah. That's a great observation, Luke. That's a good confession as well. Thank you. Love it. How about a, a female? We'll just balance the voices here on this side of the room. Anybody? Take away from last week. Or this side. Yep. Um, this is just kind of a continuation as I was going through the week. Um, God was just really speaking to me, and I was thinking about um, just the balance of property versus people and kind of your comments on how maybe we haven't done the greatest job of managing that. And um, I was watching the sun go down one night, and he just spoke to me, and he said, even though all these things have happened, I still allow you to make create beauty through that, and mm. I show you beauty through that. Awesome. And I was listening to a song that I thought was really good, and I realized that he still allows his people through that pain and suffering and damage that we've done to still enjoy that beauty. So great. So he's, I, what I heard you say in my words was, God hasn't stopped doing what he started in the beginning. 
And one of my favorite words from last week was the word partnership, that God intended a partnership. He got the project started and then handed it to his partners to complete the project. And then we see in the book of Revelation there is a rejoining with the people who are intentional about the things of other people and properties so that we would all dwell together in the Garden City, which is this one right here. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I love it. How about one more? For me, one of the ways I'm trying to think that way is the scriptures are the means into relationship, and the relationship with him, belonging, is the end goal. And that's, that's a lot what I was trying to communicate when I'm talking about the usage of scripture, is that, uh, you know, that it is to be treasured because it's, it's like a kind friend who pointed something out to you. For instance, you see this thing, it's not a new mole on my lip. I got in a motorcycle wreck on Monday, so the fact that I just have this and this and some other... Um, areas of rash it's pretty great but i don't need anybody to point this out to me and going like hey man you know you got a little something on your face i know it looks like there's a beetle growing off there and that's okay but you know when when you have a friend who points something out to you that you didn't know was there a blind spot you you really prize that person but you don't just stay in that person you go and address that thing that is affected and so in that regard the scriptures are extremely valuable they're very helpful Uh, in bringing us into relationship. And that's what I meant by people wrote the scriptures. God was not the author. And I do want to bring your attention, uh, if I have the same sheets as you, if you could look at session one clarifiers. Uh, My good friend Sam uh, was here last week, and then he listened to the whole podcast again. And uh, he just just had some follow-up questions specifically about some of the comments I made. And I thought there were such good questions. And I felt like if my friend Sam felt like he wasn't sure what I meant by those things, and he wanted to believe what I meant and what I've demonstrated under, he's been at the church for two years, I was like, if Sam maybe stumbled on that, not that he stumbled, but he was like, is that what you meant, Chris? And when we talked, I was like, wow, I wonder how many other people thought that. And that was actually his main concern. He said, you know, Chris, I've been a follower for Jesus for a long time, and we know each other in that way. I know your heart. This is what what it sounded like. Is that what you meant? And so um, I went back and listened. I also talked with Sam, obviously, and I felt it important to clarify. And so the first time in my life, I have clarifiers. This is like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen any SNL skits, but they'll say like, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to show all of our, our mistakes. I know on the SNL one, they're talking about Fox News, and it's like thousands of corrections on their news reporting. No offense to Fox News. But um, this is the first time I've ever done this. But I just want to say this is a healthy checks and balances um, that, you know, any human and person trying to interpret scriptures could be prone to misinterpret or miscommunicate. 
And so I just want to read these clarifiers for you because I think it'll be really helpful as, as we get to the comment that Rainey just brought us to. And I talk about humans writing the scriptures. God didn't write the scriptures, specifically the one about fool's gold in the scriptures. I just want to clarify a few things. So if you look at that page, uh, I think it's page two, session one clarifiers. God did not write the Bible. Let me just read, read this. Uh, that comment last week was meant literally, not spiritually or relationally. Uh, and, and I meant it as a lens to filter the method of how scriptures were written. God, in his wisdom, led and oversaw people who wrote down their journeys with Yahweh. At times, people wrote the very words Yahweh instructed them to write. And there's examples like the book of Exodus or a prophet like Isaiah or when the angel is telling um, and, and God at times tells John specifically to write things down in Revelation. The scriptures are about God. We know that. He himself, though, the, though he's the subject, was not the author like he was in Exodus 20. Exodus 20 He's with Moses, and Joshua is his disciple on the top of a mountain, and God literally with his own finger has two tablets of stone and literally writes. And so when, when that's written, those, now we don't have those two tablets in here, but we have the information that was written on those two tablets, but God, God wrote that. And so and I just want to clarify what I mean by that, just in case anybody walked away confused. So when he wrote on those tablets with his own finger, as far as scriptures... Uh, are self-testifying. That's a scholarly word that says the scriptures are confirming or affirming or testifying about their own selves. Um, the, the nature, both Paul and Peter made these important comments below. 2 Timothy 3. So Paul is writing to one of his disciples, his primary disciple. And he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. And it sounds a lot like Genesis 1 when the spirit of God hovered over the waters. Is all breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. I made a little parenthesis comment there because the original Greek is actually talking about each as like individual scriptural passages. However, I don't even know that I could find a scholar who would say, now that Paul was saying specific individual scriptures were meant by that, and some are in and some are not. And the things that Yahweh wrote with his finger in, not. Most orthodox um, evangelical, I'm not talking about Republican or Democrat when I say evangelical. I pretty much don't know of any scholar who would say, yeah, we think Paul is saying that some scripture is God-breathed and some isn't, and here are the ones that are. So my comment to you is that though the original Greek, since Sam asked me that, I was like, well, I'll get a, I'll get a little more syntax, and I'll get a little more academic when I explain it. That's why I put that there. But I do believe that this statement is trying to point our attention to the self confirmation, self-affirmation of scriptures in that regard, and their reliability. So God breathing them out, and men and women breathing it onto the page. 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21, uh, and the reason I picked these two, they're the most prominent, but you have Paul and Peter, which are really, after Jesus' ascension, two of the major leaders for Christianity after that point. So they have a, a very unique vantage point. Peter, especially, is one of the disciples. Paul experienced conversion through a manifestation, an appearing of Jesus after his ascension. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this is talking about, specifically, Peter talking about Old Testament, where how did, how did the prophets know what to say, and how did they by the breath of God, by the Spirit of God in that way. So I want to make that clarifier. Second clarifier. Um, I mentioned this. I'm not sure the writers of the scriptures had the actual Spirit of God actually living in each one of them, each of the biblical writers. I stand by that, but he, I try to clear it up just in case you got sidetracked by that. 
This was not meant to say that each writer was not led, which is the passages above, by the Holy Spirit when they wrote, but that I am not personally, that I'm not certain that the biblical writers were indwelt with the Holy Spirit in the way that you and I are after Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit comes and live in individuals. Because if you read the Old Testament, I don't know if you knew this, but if you read, for instance, uh, the interaction between David and Saul, when Saul was king, he did some foolish things, and the Spirit of God literally went out of Saul and rushed into David. And the Spirit of God would anoint certain individuals through the Old Testament. They weren't all indwelt in that way. So when you read Psalm 51, when David says something that sounds strange to us who are part of the New Covenant, which we'll get to tonight, when he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me, some of you could be like, Whoa, what does that mean? Well, the leader that was in front of him made some foolish decisions, and he saw the Holy Spirit leave him, Saul, and go into him. So he's like, okay, well, I just committed adultery, I lied, and I got somebody murdered. So pretty sure I need to be praying, please don't take your spirit from me. So if you just look at that, now that's not saying about all of the Old Testament, but it is a very unique language to talk about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament that way. So the clarifier, what I was saying is, was Jeremiah a prophet that the Holy Spirit was leading and guiding and being the mouthpiece? Yeah, but some of these individuals, like Abraham, uh, I believe it was a Christophany. A Christophany is a scholarly word saying it's an, a manifestation physically of Jesus prior to the incarnation when he's conceived by a virgin uh, in a virgin's womb. So that happens, I think, seven or eight times Jesus shows up in the Old Testament physically. And so you have the breath of God in Genesis 1. You have appearances of Jesus temporarily in physical form. You have all of these moments, but the, the, the thing that Jesus points to and says, I'm excited for the day when I leave, because when I leave, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and the Spirit's going to come and do greater things through you. This is John 14, than what you see me do. Why? Well, in part, although it's not correct scholarly, I, I will, it's not incorrect, that the Spirit is dwelling in 120 people, what you could go out and do 120 times at the level and stature of Jesus is greater than what one person could do. However, the Greek actually is not talking about numeric. It's actually talking about qualitative. And so Jesus' ministry was three years. He's not talking about a salvation thing. But again, if we're going to an equipping environment, I think I, I didn't ask for permission, but I am going to talk to you about the Greek and the original tense of these words. So in saying that the... I made that comment. I said, you know, I don't know if the Holy Spirit was actually in each one of those people. That's what I mean. And so hopefully that makes sense to you. Uh, I'll just keep reading Acts 2. That's what I was describing, how people are permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit by God's grace. Whether they were permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit or not, when they wrote, is really not worth debate at this time because our discussion is about the role of their writings are playing in our lives, not whether if that guy had the Holy Spirit in him, then we can read their stuff, and if that one didn't, because it's not really about... Holy Spirit indwell people, it's about a God who is governing, overseeing, and breathing in and out those words. What's interesting, I will make a comment, I mean, you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, part of the reason that they're different than one another is because these were different individuals. They had different perspectives. And so God did not for, forebode your personality to come onto the page. One of my mentors, who's been the most, one of the most influential mentors in my life, Help me really understand that it's okay to have personality and be yourself when you're leading and teaching. Because God's pleased with the way he made you, and he shines his light in and through you. Now, if your personality is a distraction because you're too reserved or too out loud, it might be going into sinful margins. So you want to you know, dial that in. But that's, that's a positive thing. So when you see Paul use some of the language he uses, you don't see John using any language like that. 
And, and so I hope you guys understand personality is not something that is evil. Now, if you have a personality that is just constantly vindictive and cynical, that's not like, hey, this is what God gives me with. Every, you know, every party needs a cynic. Like, no, every party does not need a pooper, and that's not why we invited you. <laughs> it's not going to work. So um, did God oversee the writings of the scriptures? Yes. And I could even put absolutely yes, of course. But I, he's overseeing everything. Not just the writing of the scriptures. God has never been, I mean, that would be, if I only had, if, if I were to make one point tonight, I'd say that God never changed, which is somewhere over here, the relationship, and I spelled it right tonight, the relationship is intact. The relationship has been intact all along because the second appearance that God has after the curse that happens is to Cain after he murders his brother. And they have a conversation. God starts the conversation. Cain is like, oh, man, I don't know where he is. Why, why are you asking about my brother? Why are you going to find him? Well, his blood found me and told me that you killed him. Oh, man, oh, and he, you're going to be wandering. You're going to be outcast. He's like, God, that's too much for me. He goes, you're right. That probably is too much for you. I'll make a covenant with you, and if anybody touches you, they got to go through me. God didn't change. He's still been pursuing people. The way that our relationship works now has changed because we have consistently, uh, I don't remember, I think Rebecca said it last week, our ability and our, our way to trust, it's like the lens that we look through with God just consistently has this doubt and skepticism, which goes back to that original thing, which will go to my third point, which is how the serpent was trying to say, fool's gold, fool's gold, rather than saying the real gold that God said. So does God oversee our reading, interpretation, application of scriptures? Absolutely. Guided by the Holy Spirit. And I would say your checks and balances for that <laughs> is that guided by the Holy Spirit, you discern things in the scriptures, and then you should hopefully have trusted men and women in your life who you can ask these things to. Uh, if you have an interpretation of scripture, you can find whatever you want it to mean on the, in, on the internet. So just because you think it, I'm pretty sure you can find somebody who will agree with it, doesn't mean that it's necessarily right. But the witness of Christendom, what's been said for the last 2,000 plus years, uh, people who are scholarly doesn't necessarily mean they're spirit-filled, but they could be scholarly and help you with certain things. But what the Holy Spirit says is not going to contradict what the scriptures say. And I'll... I'll Another way to say it, we've talked about this a good bit. We would call this the logos. These are the said words of God through human instruments that he's overseen and breathed through. And the rhema words of God, what is God saying? I've never heard a rhema, what God is saying, ever contradict what God has said. He just, he wouldn't work in a disharmonious way in that regard. But I've heard, certainly heard him say things that are very 2017 but they're consistent with the character that he has revealed, which goes back down back to God's presence with his people is leading us to interact and be a certain people on the property called earth so that all things can come back together in the garden that started in Eden, which was just for a few, would eventually become a garden city for many nations, all nations, the 16,500 16, people groups in the world right now. So those are those comments, and let me just clarify this last one. Number three, there's true gold and fool's gold in the scriptures. When Sam said to me, he goes, hey, remember when you said there was fool, fool's gold in the scriptures? I was just kind of like, what? And, uh, and it just hit me like, wow, what I said is not the way I was thinking it. So if anybody else landed that way, what happened, I was in bed when I was talking to him because I was after my motorcycle accident. And, uh, but I was clear in mind, of course-ish. And so I was, I was obviously, because I wrote all this after we talked, but... What I, what, when he said that to me, I was like, oh my goodness, someone could hear that and go like, I want to find, okay, verse 5, ah, nope, that's fool's gold. Oh, but 6 is good, but 7 through 10 isn't. And I was like, oh my goodness, what if people actually thought that's what I meant? So I just realized, though I like the statement, it could totally train wreck you. 
or motorcycle wreck you. It could throw you off your motorcycle and you rub your face on the street, or worse. So what was meant by this comment, what was meant by this comment in session one is when people interpret scripture wrongly, for whatever reason they have, they, then they use this interpretation for their purposes, they take a pure and trustworthy statement, which the scriptures in their original, I mean, these are the copies of the scripture, but they're, they're reliable, and we believe not only, even if they're not exactly what was written on the original scrolls and tablets, Holy Spirit is sovereign and wise to oversee and utilize the things that we have right in front of us to bring us towards the things that matter, him and being with him. They take pure and trustworthy things that are in the scripture, which are, i.e., gold, and they turn those things into lesser teachings, which gives it either more authority than it should or less authority. Oh, that's of the old. Or more authority, like you have to do that to be saved. Like, no, whoa, 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 whoa. So this makes the interpretation and the consequential applications fool's gold if those things are foolish because they are more and less than what God intended. And so I give that example here, the deception perspective in Genesis 3, arguments about the need for circumcision for salvation in Galatians. So Genesis and Galatians is two different areas. So scripture is trustworthy, and when understood and applied under the leadership of the Holy Spirit the way that God intended it to be, the scriptures are gold, absolutely. What I meant by the fool's gold is somebody taking something out and saying, you see this? So this is what this means, so you have to go do that. So, for instance, people who were not Jewish were being told, hey, if you really want to be a Christian, you really want to be with God, you need to go do this physically to your body so you can be in. Do you see in the Old Testament, God said everybody should be circumcised. That was a big debate. That's really what the book of Galatians is about. That is a, a moment. So we teach about that and go, wow, look how dangerous that people could put a law over grace and actually say that if you adhere to the law, you are in better standing with God. Do you see how foolish that is? And that's why Paul actually says, who bewitched you? You were running so well, but somebody cut in, and you're acting so foolish now. And so that's, Galatians isn't foolish, but it's a whole story about when somebody tried to make something that was gold, fool's gold. So it's literally a, a biblical illustration of a whole, a whole letter written to the church of Galatia. So the scriptures, under God's oversight, do not contain fool's gold. <laughs> Our culture in the South has a lot of fool's gold for sale, especially on like church signs when you drive down the street, and, and it'll just say like do this or do that or this or this will happen. And I mean, it's it's scary um, how quickly our Christianity can sound a lot more like a karma in that regard. And you do that, you do this, God will do that. And if you don't do that, it's it's like what Job's counselors came around. His best friend said to him, "Is like if you're in trouble, obviously you did something wrong. Otherwise, God wouldn't be punishing you in this way." So the last line, remember, scriptures serve as a map. It's a great, great map. Frankly, it is the greatest map. This and the Holy Spirit and the church and the church coming together are the, the, quote, maps for us to find him and walk with him and extend him to the world. Scriptures serve as a map pointing people to relationship with Yahweh, and they are perfectly equipped to do so when one reads them this way. So those are my session one clarifiers. Does anybody have any questions or comments about that and I want to say thank you Sam for just being a great brother I heard he told me that like Chris my family was telling me like I, I gotta be nice you know I, I got I'm a straight shooter I was like well you were kind the whole time this is great and we were just able to celebrate brotherhood and like the normalcy of something like that so um you know and I told him I said we have greater equity now I'm not more afraid of you I trust you more uh because you're able to say like this sounded weird to me and what if I would have said, like, no, those are spot on. There is fool's gold in there. He wouldn't be here tonight. Or he'd be here saying, hey, Chris, 
is there fool's gold in the scriptures? You know, and, and that would be appropriate to call out someone who's a false teacher in that regard. So I, I bless you and I thank you, Sam, sincerely. I mean that. We all do. Any, uh, any questions or comments about those? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there just, in, in your opinion, without getting too deep into sure. that, can we rest in some of the translations also? We've got King James, we've got, you know, we've got right. all the different interpretations of that. Um, at some point, you just kind of lay to rest, but you don't necessarily put that rest with everything you hear on TV mm-hmm. or book. Or, yep. I mean, I don't. I right. Don't yeah. But, you know, I'm even a little bit more careful like with the translation. Yeah. Yep. Than I am. Yeah, I, w- I think it's a great question. What I hear the question being if we listen to all kinds of resources, especially with the internet and podcasting, you can listen to any teacher. And um, I, there's, there's a guy on TV that's well known. And um, I listened to about a 40 minute message. First 28 minutes were solid Bible teaching. And then at minute 28, in the same tone that he did outstanding biblical exposition, I meaning really teaching the Bible, I mean, just went to a, an insane, it didn't look insane, didn't sound insane, but it was so absolutely not reflected in the character of God or the promises of God. But 28 minutes of solid teaching causes you to not have a guard up, not have a filter. Uh, so I would warn some of you to read certain books or listen to certain podcasts and not know more about the person writing it or speaking it could be really problematic. What I'd like to share is that anything that you read, I hope is representing 10% because you've got 90% of this in you, and you'll hear it quick. So what I'd like to say is I hope that the scriptures become your primary sounding board. Um, I think that would be a good reason for scripture memorization. That would be a good reason for reading it each day. Not for nuggets, not for signposts, but to know who Yahweh is and to know what he's like and to know, I really think that will help us actually live more like Jesus, not because we're trying, but we just get so familiar with what he's like and, and who he is. And so I would encourage you, I, I mean, if, I know if, if, you're, uh, if you do more close-knit time with me, when I hear things in movies or whatever it is, I'm like, man, that's not, that doesn't sound anything like Matthew right there. Like, hey, that was cool and all, but Ephesians makes that completely untrue. You know, it's, it, that could be your sounding board for everything. So not that it's an idol, but this is an enormous resource. And frankly, Yahweh is the source, and here's his resource. And then he gave you the Holy Spirit to understand the resource and not prioritize principles or laws but the one who actually is the creator of all things dwelling with you to create a world so that you would dwell in full harmony together. So my short answer would be, do not take what I say, just like was modeled, or anybody else says, if it's new to you, look it up in the scriptures. If someone's teaching, they don't open the scriptures, which if you're with us on a Sunday, I mean, we just teach straight from the Bible. This a cooking environment is different. We're, I assume it 
Sometimes Oliver says that to me. He's like, where are you getting that from? I'm like, what do you mean? Not that he doesn't know it, but he's like, where are you getting that from? I'm like, man, that's, that's this and this and this and this. He's like, read that. I was like, and he'll go, oh, wow, okay, that's great. And, and so I hope 10 years from now, you have 10 more years of investing in the scriptures, and the scriptures have been investing in you in that regard. One of my mentors didn't, he wouldn't say references, but if you would hear him talk a paragraph to somebody, and you knew the Bible well, you'd be like, okay, that was just Deuteronomy. That was Second Samuel. Oh my goodness, that was Psalm 23. But he didn't say, like, thus saith the Lord. It was just so in him that when you pushed him, that's what came out. Truth, just biblical truth came out. So you have that choice, you know? I know that we live in a culture that said you have to read your scriptures, but um, some of us have been blessed enough to never have heard that. And I know for me, and I can just represent my own journey, like, I, ne- I hadn't read the Bible. So when I became a Christian, I couldn't wait to read about him. Because I was drawn to how great I heard he was, and then I started to read who he was, and it was, oh my goodness, this is amazing, I get to read this! But I also will say, you know, I would read small portions at first because you had to develop an appetite for that. Just like if, if all of us were out of shape and we went to the gym tomorrow, it would be hard to go the next day because we would be so sore. Same thing with things like scripture. It's a developed, acquired taste in that way. So great question. Always check anything, especially if you think the Spirit's saying something to you. Just because it's you and him doesn't mean it is necessarily right. First John 4, 1 says, discern the Spirit. Some are evil and some are good. And so in that regard, it seems like God, and I feel good about it, and I always get a sensation when I, when I hear him, but he's, you know, and he's telling me I don't have to forgive that person or, or ever pursue a relationship with them. It's like, wow, if God's like that, what if he's like that with you too? So my expectation, my hope is that we don't just hide the scriptures in there because it's Christian. We're getting to know our God, and in so doing, we're doing it through these scriptures, aided by his spirit. Any other questions or comments about the, that portion? Chris, mm-hmm. I would just encourage everybody to, if you have questions about where we stand as, as a church on some really important faith issues, to go to our faith statement yeah. um, on, the, on, the, on the website, because um, that wasn't something that just came together You good, Nathan? I'm good. It's good. And you know, I've learned, you know, to time with, with the uh, with the message. Like I've learned, you know, in my Christian life, once I spend more time with God, I spend time in the Word, and I spend time with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Then yeah. people come to me with all kinds of things, and when things come to my mind that don't seem right, you know, it confirms. Once you spend time with God, and mm. once you spend time with in the Word and with your brothers and sisters, guess what? We can't nothing get by us. Mm. Can't nothing. Just anything. Love it. I'm glad you're here tonight. You coming to church on Sunday too? Yes, I am. Watch this. Can anybody give Nathan a ride to church on Sunday? Raise your hand. 
Oh. I figured there'd be like the whole house, but all right, you've got you got six or seven hands right there, so that's good. That's good. All right, let's go back to page one. Page one, uh, session one in review. I'm gonna do this super duper quick. Remember, if you were not here last week, I encourage you to listen to that podcast, and I encourage you to listen to those things I just referred to and go like, oh yeah. All right, quickly, here we go. For those of you who weren't with us. Um, this is, these images are, I don't know if they'll be enduring images. I don't know if they will last, but I hope they might for us. Um, this is tri called a triquerta, tetragrammaton. I mentioned that, so I've cleaned up some things so that you would have them in front of you. Um, but ultimately, this was a picture of trying to understand the indescribable. Ineffable means uh, the name that couldn't be spoken and, and wasn't because it was sacred. How God did everything and how he started it and, and what it all means and ultimately, the God who had no physical body, and the God that had no planetary substance, and the God where there was no raw materials, he just existed, and that's very difficult for us to understand what that's like because we are so tactile, we're so smell-oriented and sense-oriented. But God, Trinity, Yahweh, must appreciate and understand that because he made us to have that, which is image-bearing. When God created all the planet, every single thing, all the matter and all the things that are going out, way out, way out, way out in the universe and solar system, it was good. But when God put image bearers, people, on that planet, he said, no, that's very good. And it's not just because people were superior, although they are the only ones that bear image like we do. It's because the earth, specifically, moving to this panel, the garden called Eden was meant to be a garden for a few they were to be fruitful and multiply, have dominion and subdue. They were supposed to manage and learn to take care of ten acres. And they were not forbidden to go beyond that acreage. In fact, as they were fruitful and multiplied with bearing children and continue to design things and understand different ways to use different things that God had made, given them, they would expand so much so that that would not just be... Now, we see a, a significant fall because of the deception, but... But ultimately, if there wasn't deception, and we were able to navigate that well, and by the way, Adam and Eve, when that serpent comes and talks, you know they could have stopped at any point and said, you know what? Yahweh comes and visits us every day. And what you're saying just seems, sounds really different. It makes sense, because this fruit is attractive, and it does, it might make me smart, and it looks really good to eat, but I, Yahweh's never failed us. He's never given us a reason to doubt him. I mean, he gave us everything, and he only pointed to one thing, and he said, That's, you don't understand it. You know, they could have done that. Now, let's say they did that, and Yahweh came up, and he said, Adam, who are you talking to? And they're like, this thing. And he's like, are you managing that relationship well? Because you know that's just a, that's a reptile. <laughs> well, yeah, but he has some really good wisdom. Yeah, well, this is just somebody I met online. This is a book I read. This is, I know over the, I mean, you, you could literally do this whole thing. But God would have said, well, what do you think? I think that God would have said, so what do you think about what he's saying? Because God literally started the project, but he gave man the management. You can literally look at it and say, what was the issue with that sin? Adam was not managing his house well because he left his wife, I think an earshot and eyeshot, but left his wife to figure that out by herself. Now, I'm not, I mentioned this last week, but it's worth mentioning because there's some new faces in, in our culture. So it's just worth mentioning. It's the, the man overseeing being the head of the house is that he, he was supposed to protect her and help her and think with her. I think the healthiest marriages are ones that 
the, the man rarely in all their years of marriage ever says, this is what we're going to do, and just follow me. The closest I come to that is three times total in almost 20 years of marriage, and I never said that. It was literally, we couldn't figure it out. She said, I'm going to ask you to pray and seek the Lord and, and keep doing that, keep doing that. If you get clarity, and we talk about it, and I still don't understand, I'm going to trust that God's leading you. Out of those weeks and months. And two out of the three worked out really well, and the third she went, told you. So, <laughs> the reality is, management. They had full dominion over snakes and lizards and, and everything. Lions, all of it. So, I think God would have just said, so what do you think? I don't think God would have said, like, step on that head. He would have said, well, what do you think, Adam? What do you think? What's Eve's argument? What does she think? Well, God, tell us about this. Why do you want us to do this? Like, hey, I've already told you. You know, do you trust me? If that were to happen, and they actually waited on the Lord like that, because he showed up every day, I think that we would eventually blossom into a garden city where all <laughs> tribes, all nations, all tongues were in the midst of God, and God was in their midst, and their, his city was with them, which is where we see the book of Revelation. That's where we're going to, this one is, and that's where we're going to get to. So really, it was a mismanagement issue in many ways. But it's interesting, the partnership and the relationship is intact. We see this immediately with the first murderer. God comes to him. God talks to him. When, when Eve has uh, gives birth, you know, she actually says, wow, Yahweh's looked to us and he's provided for us. <laughs> so there's a relationship in worship, in verbal, in sacrifice. It's already there. The relationship, God didn't change. It's still intact. And they're supposed to manage this project. That's what's supposed to happen. So we have a creator creating. We have a garden called Eden where something significantly changed. But the project management is still our vocation. There's beauty in your vocation, you know. There's beauty in your vocation. And though the ground gets cursed, work never gets cursed. And that was... I watched and heard from some of you guys. It was a big word last week. Oh, shoot, I can't hate work. Dang it. <laughs> work, work is glorious and good. It reflects Yahweh. To do something that is beautiful matters. You know that artwork for me has become resurrected and restored in the last six months because of City Lights. And at Easter, when I made a comment to my wife and I was really working hard on those paintings, I said, you know, this is, I'm wasting time and it doesn't even matter. It's just something I like and I shouldn't even be doing this. It, it's not even going to communicate or help. And she went, you guys, I, if you don't know my wife, this is, we're great in this way. She's like, what's wrong with you? Like, are you being serious right now? And I went, yeah. And I heard myself go, I'm wasting time. And this is like, and I was, I felt guilty because my staff was in the office and I was in my kitchen painting, 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 painting. You know, I felt like a kindergartner kind of thing. And that's what I felt like. And I, I didn't get recovered, but I realized I needed to be rebuked. Then I went to go speak at Clemson FCA and I was going to do a painting and I was leaving. And I told Oliver, I was like, yeah, I was going to do an image for it. And, uh, but that's, and I said, again, I was like, it's just, you know, no one's going to really care about that. And he goes, what? And he was just a good friend. He wasn't like my wife. He was like, buddy, you need to paint, man. It's so cool when you do that. I'm like, yeah, it is. He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. You know, it was a very different kind of encouragement. Um, and when I showed him these ideas, he just got big eyes. He's like, oh, my goodness. It's great. And for the first time, I think in my 20 years of pastoring, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed or asking for affirmation for bringing who God made me to be in my presentation, which is this artwork. And there's a, there is a significant reward of that, or thing I treasure. I don't think Dee's here tonight, but um, this one, I want you guys to color, by the way, and, that, and I, I love it. I think Lamar colored the whole time last night, didn't take one note, he stayed on the front page, which I love. I love it. 
Sydney, he's looking at me right now, so that's a group. So Sydney Ann told me that um, she does better by doodling and listening. So I'm not going to argue with it. I think it's great. But she colored in this face and this face, and then she sent. I'll post it eventually because she sent me a picture, um, and she, she's African American. Her brother's African American, so she gave him those tones, and she sent me a picture of her brother and her, and the, I mean it's almost identical. And she said, Chris, I went home. And her uh, mom and her brother do not know Jesus. And she went home and said, look what my pastor presented. And I colored in, it's you and me. And she was able to talk to her family about what she had learned. And the last text before I went to bed that night was, thank you so much for doing artwork in your communication. It really, you know, it, like blessed me or helped me share the truth with others. And I just went, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, it, it was hard. I was thankful for that. I was like, okay, that's what I always envisioned would happen. And I'm not looking for affirmation, by the way. I'm not that guy, but I, I like the, like, oh, when I saw that, it, it made sense. I got it finally. And, and also, words can disappear, but an image can really stay as an icon and be something that locks meaning in. So moving from the ineffable, indescribable becomes ascribable through a planet and people who are subduing and multiplying it so that it would expand and all kinds of expression of Yahweh would be seen and shared and enjoyed and everybody would have everything they need. World peace is a Miss America statement, but shalom is God's statement of it's not just without striving, it's just only good. There's only good in it. And that's where the story is going. So I did mention last week if we're a hell in the handbasket because of our president or this or that, whatever's going on, if you have that, that perspective, I really struggle seeing how that's in the scriptures because the story swells to an end where Yahweh is in the midst of the people and all nations are together with him in glory. There's not even needing light anymore because he is bright and lights everything up. And that's where we end is this garden city. So that's a review of last week. Again, if you weren't here, you can grab that on the podcast. Any questions or comments about that so far? Uh, one question, mm-hmm. Chris. Now, I'm doing the what, podcast. What is that? Uh, I'll show you online. I can show you another time when we're hanging out. Okay. It's just you can get the sermons um, online, listen to them on your phone. Okay. Yep. Thank you. All right. Um, keywords. People are partners. It's important. You're not alone. You've never been alone. It's one of the enemy's biggest lies. That's just a side note. But you're a partner. God actually created people to be partners. He said, hey, look at me. I've got this whole thing together. What do you want to call it? God, we want to call this earth. He's like, that's a great name. It's called earth. And, and, and you, you know what? Keep doing that. Everything you see, give it a name and, and figure out how it works. And keep doing that. And that part and that part, you guys come together and there's going to be little ones of you that come out and they're going to be all over the earth. That's going to be awesome. And this is, it's just keep being fruit. Oh, this is just fruit, 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 fruit. And prune it and grow it and plant it and keep building out. Keep doing that. They're like, okay, God, but what if we have questions? He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in your midst. I'm always, he's always planned to be in our midst. And so as we see in, in Genesis, at the cool of the day, he would come as if it was regular. But he, you know, people are not just trying to become like God. They're not just trying to live up to an example. They literally are God's intended partners. That's God's plan A and, and never changed. We just put obstacles and tried to sue our partner. We tried to break the business and do our own thing. And God just said, you know what? I'll take all the blame. You can do all this. And eventually all the debt that you've stocked up and the way that you've ruined the business plan and everything else – Eventually, we looked at the cross, and Jesus is like, you know what? I'm going to mend our relationship in such a degree that I'm never going to break our partnership. So you can use language like covenant and king and kingdom, or you can use language like we are people, and our primary partnership is with Yahweh. So if God is for us, who could ever be against us? You know, when you think about that title or that statement in Scripture, you go, oh, that's a war thing. But it's a life thing. 
He, he intends for the earth to bear glory. He intends for your marriage to bear glory. He intends for your children to walk in glory. He intends for your business to demonstrate glory. He intends, I believe, Greenville, South Carolina, to be an image-bearing people and property that the whole world looks at and says, wow. We, I'm just sitting with our architect today. We are, <coughs> if he works hard on it, we're a week away from seeing master plans. And I, the Lord, I believe, let us one way or another, that we're with a different architecture firm than we started with, and wait till you see these designs. They're better than what I proposed to him. He came back, and I'm like, Whoa. and we moved, like, there was a fire pit that we designed, and you could walk through it, and not, not through the fire, not like a test. <laughs> <laughs> it's like fear factor, survivor, I mean, it is awesome. <laughs> but the beauty on this property and it is so inviting for the city to enjoy. I look at it and went, oh, now we're finally representing what we've always been intending and God's intended to represent for such a time as this. So even down to that, like, I know for me I had like two major takeaways from last week. One of my major takeaways is, oh my goodness, Lord, I see that. I've always seen that property as yours, but now I realize we're a partner with you. It's not just, God, what do you want, what do you want, what do you want? He's like, what do you guys want? What's beautiful? What does your city need? What do people need? Well, God, this, this, this. He's like, then build it. I'm your partner. I say, yes, let's go. And it's just a stunner to watch happen. So God made people as partners, and the property is not just going to hell in a handbasket, because if you read Revelation, where we'll end tonight, the city of God descends out of heaven and literally anchors itself on earth. So do you think about leaving and removing. I really believe that God removes and takes off all the filth and the, the sin and the decay and the, the death literally gets, I'll just use this word for a moment, raptured, taken off. Like in Noah's day, the righteous ones under God's provision stayed and everything else got cleansed off away so there was a new start. So when Jesus comes and sits on his throne in that garden city, there's a significant moment where, like, where's all the filth? It couldn't be earth. Well, God renews it like fire with gold. Stunning, stunning stuff. So God's presence and his partnership is intact. He uses, we're going to get to the P words after this next portion. But there are problems that are signposts. The major signpost is uh, God's presence, people, and property are the most significant. I would say those are the most important piece. The secondary piece that point us, if there's a problem, that means people... We're not doing what they were intended to do on this property. So there's a problem. The problem is not the treasure. The problem is a kind partner saying, hey, when you mix that in with the cement, the foundation fractures. And if you're so offended, like, well, that's how I like making cement. I don't care about you. Well, I want to have this relationship. What do you mean I can't do this or that? That's when God says, don't do that. Like, how dare you tell me what to do? It's look at your partner who knows everything and all the raw materials that you named that he trusted you with, and there's a problem there. Like, well, God, and eventually come back like, you were right. We're a mess. We didn't follow what you said, and those problems have only gotten worse. And he goes, hey, I promise. I'm your partner. I'm sticking with you. We're going to make this work. How, God? I mean, we're enslaved. We've been enslaved for 400 years to Egypt, and we're dying every day. And he goes, I'm going to deliver you out of slavery. Well, God, how are you going to do that? Well, <laughs> Moses, I know you launched at 40. Now you're 80. 
You've been a shepherd for 40 years. Now it's time to go and fulfill your, your destiny. Well, I can't do it, God. I can't, I, just, I can't do it. He's like, all right, what if I give you a partner? Okay, Aaron. Look, there's your, there's your brother. Aaron, you go. Blah, blah. Story after story after story. story. Ten plagues, they get delivered. So there's a problem. Slavery. Why? Because they didn't obey. There was a major problem. They're crying out, God, are we your people? Are we going to have property? We need you. Only by a mighty and strong hand would they be delivered, and they are in majestic ways. Where God interacts with the property in ways that plagues are coming down, and the Jews who are in the same land are untouched, and all the Egyptians are all being decimated right in the midst. And there are moments where they don't do anything for differentiation, but that last plague, there's a plague of death. And if you put a lamb's blood over your doorpost, that spirit of death will go right past you, and the death will not go on to you. That's a foreshadowing of the Passover lamb Jesus. So, when you read scripture, like Luke was talking about, I'd love for you to open up any passage. And you know it's ultimately about God, but if it's just, remember when I talked about the book of Numbers, it's literally just numbering all the people. And last week I said, you know what that is? When you see people, you just see people that are partners with God, and their names are in, are in the scriptures. Why? Because God loves them so much. But that was, that's the number of people that he said, I'm going to preserve you partners, because I'm so committed to our partnership, I'm not going to divorce you. In Jeremiah, he writes to his people, and he says, I'm going to divorce you. You have been a whore. You literally have been a whorous adulterer. And the next sentence is, but if you just acknowledge that and turn from your ways, I will not give you a certificate of divorce, and we will be married. <laughs> Problem! You're whoring out every day, and it's affecting our relationship. I promise, though, I love you, and I'll be married to you. And I'm going to provide for you relationships. It's not ultimately about fixing a problem. It's about trusting Yahweh and navigating through and owning. See, owning problems, when you recognize the ultimate issue is not that you have a problem. The ultimate issue is there's been a disconnect between you and Yahweh. And that affects you and your partnership with him. We tracking? It looks like we're tracking with your body language. So we, remember, people are partners, and it's really exciting. We're literally getting planet Earth Specifically, Greenville, South Carolina, ready for Jesus to visit. And he's not just visiting, he's going to stay. Have you ever thought about the city that way? How then should we develop our 13 acres if Jesus is going to hang out with us on this? Let's not be too gaudy. <laughs> let's not be too desolate. I don't want you to be like, I had some really ornate gold molding. <laughs> but do you know half a mile down the street, those people are starving? I want him to go and go like, oh, I'm so glad you built this building where all those starving people could come and eat. Man, I like your molding. That's nice. Because <laughs> there's, I mean, you know that the temple in the Old Testament was the most glorious structure in the world. The temporary temple, just the temporary temple, which was a tent, they literally got shellfish and got the ooze out of them and dyed thread purple out of the ooze of shellfish that had to be caught way across the land. And those people brought in, and the highest, most gifted artists would literally just dye thread so that when they would do an embroidery into the curtains, just the walls, then no one on earth had ever seen anything like that. And do you know that the temple... Both the temporary one and the, the physical brick-and-mortar one 
was funded in like an instant because Moses said, we're going to build a house for God. And literally, people were coming and bringing a free will offering. Just, we're building a temple for God? Well, I have a house. He, 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 does he want a house? God, you know, God didn't even ask for a house, but David said, I want to build you one. And God said, all right, cool. Ask the people. They bring so much money that Moses says, whoa, we got enough. We're good. Don't bring any more. I've never met a church where they take up the offering like, whoa, 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 whoa. All right. Everybody, everybody takes them back. Pass the plates back. Everybody takes them. You know, like, we don't need that much. We're not a church interested in funding more of what we're doing. We want, we want to be entrusted so we can continue to fund our influence of 13 acres, continue to expand Greenville and the world in that way. We're, we're a pretty minimal church. So you understand how the reading of the scripture is influencing the way that we're understanding architectural renderings in that way? That, that's the beauty of application. It's not just like, oh, the Garden of Eden in, in the Garden City. That's like so far back and that's so far away. Like David Platt would come in here and say, you and I are literally deciding whether we want Jesus to return in our lifetime or not based on how we live our lives. The gospel is not just going and saying, intellectually decide that you're a sinner and you need grace. The gospel goes and, and feeds hungry and, and thirst, and I've, I've never helped somebody, and they not ask me why. In fact, Nathan and I have become buddies because he's walking by my house the other day. I said, hey, man, what's up? And we was talking, I just said, hey, do you need anything? He goes, I wasn't asking for anything. I said, well, do you need anything? And we were just friends that day. We saw each other again. We hung out again. He came over to my house, and, and that day, he's like, so you told me if I ever have a need, I can come by. I'm like, what do you need? Let's go do it. And here we are worshiping Jesus together. I don't think I invited him. I'm not really, <laughs> I know we talked about it, but I don't, I don't usually do that because that's you're the church where you go. But it's so fun to have them. <laughs> so good. Hello. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> so the project managers, what the project's going to look like, I'm just going to read from Revelation. Just listen to this. Imagine in our lifetime, if we are people that are intent, not just about our vocation. And listen, your vocation, I, I think you as an engineer, an accountant, a lawyer... A doctor, uh, Whole Foods, whatever you're doing, artists, raising children and mommying, daddying, brothering, sistering, fathering, sonning, all of it, all of it, all those works are good. In fact, these scriptures right here, <coughs> God has prepared, Romans 8.28, God's prepared good things that we would walk in them. Not just for today, but it, it literally builds his kingdom. All these things, 2 Corinthians 3, is, as we behold him, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another until the whole world is glorious. Revelation 21, if we are doing the work of God and we're understanding the scriptures that, that God's presence is with his people, his presence is partnering with people so that we would literally see Eden stretch around the whole earth. Listen to this. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away in the sea. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That sounds just like Eden. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. To wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. You know, even death will die. Death dies that day. <laughs> There's a funeral for death. We'll never see it again. It's amazing. 
There will be no more mourning, no crying, no pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. I cried on my wedding. That kind of crying will be there. Sad crying, broken crying won't happen. Joyous crying, like snotty nose. Oh, you just you like snorted like a pig. Like, ah, you know, like that kind of crying will be there. <laughs> and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. One of my mentors, I haven't talked in a while now, but he was influencing me for a while. He just made that very important distinction. God's not making all new things. He's making all the things new again. Isn't that awesome? You know when people have come out to our property and looked at the building and said, okay, you want me to tell you how much money you save if you just knock this over? And I go, but what about, what about the hundred years of history here and, and these beams and, and all this stuff? Like, yeah, but you need a higher ceiling for your worship arts area. I'm like, but the, these beams are hundred years old and they have a story and it's beautiful. Like, and they're like, nah, you'll save money. Part of the reason we're not knocking that building down is because Jesus chose to not knock us down, but to dwell in the broken vessel, that jar of clay, and contain the glory of God. The story's going to look like, wow, you've never looked so good, rather than like, man, you're much better than my last spouse. You know, it's, it's literally going to be a restored, you get the joke, I'm not trying to be funny, going, that, like, that was little. Write this down. He says, these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. It is finished. Just like he said at the cross, I'm the beginning and I'm the Alpha and the Omega. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. And then he goes on and on and on and on. He says, I'll show you the bride. It describes this beautiful mountain. Um, this is for your drawing pads. I've given you 12 this is rainbow-esque, but these are 12, uh, these are 7, right? This has 12. That's the 12 different stones that are in the wall of the temple right there for you. That's the sun. I didn't want to, I didn't give Jesus a face right here. That's just the glory of sun, but that's representing that new Jerusalem temple. And then this, this is just a rainbow because if you read through the scripture, you're going to see like, whoa, rainbows are, and they're stunning. In fact, when I talk about covenants in a moment, the Noah covenant was the first covenant God made with humanity was given a symbol, and it was the, the rainbow. God made the rainbow to say, I will never destroy the earth that way again. My rainbow, my bow is retired in the sky, colorful and beautiful. Imagine if a huge, you ever seen a huge rainbow that like, takes up the whole landscape? Imagine if there's an arrow coming out of that bad boy down. Trouble! And God said, I'll never do that again, so I'm retiring my bow in the sky. It's literally what he's saying, retire my bow in the sky. So he goes on, he talks about just how beautiful it is. Verse 22 in chapter 21, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty <laughs> and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. That's just mesmerizing, right? By its light, the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. What? Yeah, kings are bearing glory. Sons and daughters bearing glory. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Woo! I mean, it's a stunner. Stunner, stunner, stunner. And I think you guys have read this, but it just keeps going and going and going. Uh, chapter 22, verse 13. On the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and the beginning and the end. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to eat from the tree of life, that they may enter into the city by the gates. Remember, that's what the gates are blocking in Eden after that, but now they'll live forever. So, verse 17, the spirit and bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who's thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Surely I'm coming soon, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That, that's what I'm doing in Greenville. 
That's what you're doing in Greenville. Your work matters. Mignon, you helping people with their eyes matters. It matters. Everything you're doing, do not... Listen, vocation is just something you're doing for money, but the glory that you work in and through matters. Not just to be a person who, like, makes money and does that, and then I go be Christian. Like, you are an image bearer of the glory of God right where you are, and you're gifted with the skills you've been given that the glory might be shown in that place. We're so glad you're coming to clean our bathrooms tomorrow, Debbie, at the office. It's great. She goes, I just love getting over a toilet and cleaning it. I'm like, well, none of us do, so we're glad you're coming. <laughs> but that's, we need people to do that. That's glorious. That's a good work. It's a really, really good work. So this Garden City is where we're going. We're going to see all nations come to it. And these are prophetic verses here. We see them get fulfilled. You see all nations coming in Revelation 7. There's a new city coming to be with, uh, with man. And we see the Garden City in Revelation 22. The next thing I want to install with you guys is uh, page I, I, number three. It says session two, the five scenes in scripture. Um, I don't know that this is out there in, in the world because I've taught you guys the meta narrative of scripture, creation, fall. Uh, redemption and restoration. That's a meta-narrative scripture. You'll see that all over in any books you read. The five scenes of scripture, I'm not saying it's unique to us, but I've never learned it, but Oliver just said, hey, can we just break the Bible into scenes? And so I was like, yeah, we can, we'll try to do that. And so I worked kind of hard on it, but here's how I broke it up. I broke it up not with creation fall, but I tried to break it up thinking presence, people, property. What are the scenes at which the presence, the presence of God and the people and the property were uniquely doing something. So an Eden creation, which is going to be our first one, which is right here on your chart, just, just to the right of that glorious city, we're going to put the word creation or Eden. And to the right of that, you're just going to write Genesis, because that's what we've been talking about. The first scene in the scriptures is God creating an Eden. We know the main player is God, but there really isn't a difference between God and his partners. They are literally partnering together every day. Man, people, mismanaged property and the animals, and there was a break in that relationship that God addresses in, in Genesis 3. At that point, from Genesis 3... God doesn't change. His interaction with mankind stays the same. In Genesis 6, God looks at earth, and it's so populized by that point, populated or populized, I'll say populized for now. It's so populized that God looks at it. It's one of, one of the most stunning verses in all the Bible. God looks and he says, I looked upon the earth, and every human being is only evil at all times without stop. And God literally sends the flood to the earth. There is an, there is an ark that spares of just a handful, small family that get credited as righteous. And God says, I will, I will wipe out all that is wrong in the world, but I will make a covenant with you, Genesis 9. The covenant will be, I will never destroy this planet this way again. But let this be a reminder, Noah, and your, and your people with you. Do not do the things you are doing. It was going to destroy everything that you are about. No good. So the first, this next word right here, sorry for your, uh, you can write covenant. So the second scene is the scene of the covenants. A covenant is, a, is an agreement. It's a binding contractual agreement. So when God makes his first covenant, he makes it with Noah, 
Remember, after the storm, after the whole earth's flood and everything's destroyed, he puts a rainbow in the sky. If you read the passage, it's beautiful. He retires his war bow, and his bow is made of a rainbow. It's just stunning. You know, if you think like somebody shows up to a fight and they've got a rainbow bow, you might make fun of them. That's God's idea. That's what his bow looks like, so back off, all right? In the prayer room for the last few weeks, people have been seeing people dress. I know several of you prophesied over me, and you saw me wearing full rainbow garments, Um, even like glass shoes with rainbow, which there's plenty of pictorial things, especially for the 70s, of who people who wore that. But the beauty of it is I'm not at all afraid or disturbed or bothered about how stunning the rainbow is. It's literally the first sign of God in the sky. So every time it rains, I mean, just realize, like, oh my goodness, this dates all the way back to Noah and the flood, and that, and I hope, I hope the next time you see a huge rainbow, it's just so big, and just imagine an arrow getting stretched. You know, obviously we see rainbows this way, so the arrow would go up that way, but just imagine that's the war bow. It just hits everything in sight, and that's God saying, hey, it's not him just saying, like, don't worry, the, the rain's going to stop. He's saying, remember it all. Remember my first covenant with you, how faithful I've been all the way. The second covenant you see is the Abrahamic covenant. That covenant is, and you guys, that was part of your homework, Genesis 15. Genesis 15 was the covenant where God said, I will make many nations from you. Your descendants will be like all the stars. Abraham, look at the star. There's no light pollution. Start counting. He's like, I lost track. He's like, exactly. Uh, then, like, why don't you, it's even referred to sands on the shore. Like, why don't you just start counting the grains of sand? Like, man, are you, are you messing with me? Like, this is messed up, you know? And he's like, that's how blessed your family will be. He's 99 years old when this actually starts to come to fruition. But an Abrahamic covenant ultimately is your seed. From your seed, all nations will be blessed. From your work, the whole nations, all the world will be blessed. And do you realize that like, when your hands touch things tomorrow and you create things and you love somebody, you're literally blessing all nations in that way. Don't underestimate the one impact of one faithful person doing their one thing right where they are. You know, the Christianity represents about one-third of the world, if they were all professing Christians like, let's say, one of you, that just leaves each person to reach three people. And I'm not just saying, like, just go give them a track. I'm talking about, like, go, go make three disciples of people who don't know Jesus. You literally just impacted the whole nation. Tomorrow, if all the Christians saw that as their aim to go and bless and build a relationship with three non-believers, every Christian on planet Earth, the whole world comes to experience the manifestation of Yahweh through you. It really gets that simple. But you know it's not just about people, it's also property. So the second covenant is Abrahamic, and we see that it's eventually going to come, obviously, through Isaac, and then it goes all the way down the line, Jesus gets born from that line. It, and Abraham, you know, when you hear that, like, wow, am I going to have a lot of money? I'm going to this and that. Like, it's ultimately fulfilled through Jesus. The third covenant you have is one with David. And that one is another signpost. It's a Davidic covenant, and that covenant is that there will be a king just like you, David, that will come. And and remember, God even says, like, David has a heart like mine. And God says, Yahweh says to David, there will be a king much like David. And so they were looking for the Davidic king in the Messiah era when Jesus came and wondered if he was the Messiah. They're like, will this be a king like David who ruled and destroyed enemies and and ruled with strength and blah, 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 blah. So that was the second, that was the third covenant. The fourth covenant we see is actually the fulfillment of the three. It's the Christ covenant. That is the entrance of the new covenant. It's a covenant of grace, not law. And so the fourth covenant that we see, so we have a scene, by the way. So if you look, 
You've got the creation scene. If you look on your paper, creation is Genesis 1 through 3, that scene. The covenant scene is Genesis 4 through Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So there is a lot of the scene that is influenced by these covenants. What is a covenant? That's God promising to do his part. The next scene is the Messiah age. God says, I'm no longer going to make it uh, this, this covenant with you where you have to do something. I myself am going to become manifest. I will be incarnate. I will put on flesh myself permanently, and I will be the Messiah that has been promised to you for thousands of years. I will come myself. So the next one is the Messiah age. That's what this blank will be here. So when you're reading through Genesis 4 to Malachi, all those, you're realizing that we're in a covenant story. So when you see something, this is a quiz, I want you to answer this. When you see a problem happening in the book of Jeremiah or 2 Samuel, you see problems. What, what do you do with the problems that you see between God and his people? What do you do with that when you read that? What is that telling you? Because we're in a covenant, remember, it's a covenant scene. So if the covenant scene is the people of God are being rebuked by God and he's angry with them, what is God trying to say? It's a covenant scene. What is he trying to say when there's issues and problems with the people of God and God's letting them know it? What's he, what, what, what are we understanding? Remember, we got people, we have presence of God, we have people and property. If God's angry with people and they're not doing what's right, what is he trying to help them see and remember? What is that passage about? God's mad, so we better behave? What, what, is he, what is he doing when he says that? What is that revealing? That we're better than what we're asking on. Okay, so, hey, so if God is a jealous God, and he is, that's what I would hear you say. Like, hey, you're better than this. I'm jealous for your good. You know, you're, you're eating mud pies, and I've given you filet mignon. Stop eating mud pies! Oh, God, why do you got to raise your voice at us? Because you're eating mud pies! I've done that when raising little children. They would eat literally things out of the garbage. I'm like, whoa, stop! Gross! No! I remember our firstborn, Annabelle, did that, and she just was so mad at me because I would not let her eat what was on the edge of the garbage. Uh, like, not just there. It was a collection of whatever was continued to go. I mean, Deb's crying, crying. I thought she thought I was... And it was literally... The whole pantry had glorious food all behind it, and the garbage can was right in front of it. And I'm like, little girl! You know, she's like, ah! And I'm like, anything you want, just not that. She didn't, that's, I think that's what Yahweh's saying. He made a covenant to say, I'm going to continue to talk with you, but to correct you, to stop you, to, to say this is problematic, to, to design natural consequences that when the front wheel of your motorcycle stops and breaks when you're moving, you will get thrown from the motorcycle. I mean, like, that is a natural consequence. That's what happens. I'm not looking at God like, God, where were you? This is ridiculous. He's like, well, you're your motorcycle broke and you went flying. It's a natural consequence. Think about this. Oh, Lord. You know, so there's, you guys understanding, to, to understand the rhythm of how to read the scriptures in these scenes is to realize it's not just about keeping a covenant. The covenant is to remind you to look back to Yahweh and where you departed from him. He wants more for us in this way. When there's problems, it's God saying, hey, I've placed problems and repercussions and consequences here so you can go like, wait a minute. Am I forgetting that I'm a people person I'm a, I'm a partner of the living god oh have i forsaken the property which is forsaking my neighborhood my neighbor my workplace my body and all the things it's not just becoming more green and eco-friendly it's literally realizing that property if you belong if you live in an apartment or you go to a school or you're in a class everybody around you is 
quote, God's property, they matter. So if there is a problem or a provision or promise God's making, those are all signposts to say, don't forget, we're partners. And don't forget, wherever you are in that property, that place with that people, what you do matters. And he's not just saying, go reflect me. He's going, let's get into that together. Let's do that. He's that present in this day with you. He's not, I mean, I, I challenge you. Read through Genesis through Revelation. Uh, in the next, you can do that. You can read a book a day and, and read the Bible in two months. It's, not, it's really not that hard. I mean, you have to make time for it, but you, it's not, it's really not, you'd be surprised. Like, wow, I actually read it that fast. You read Harry Potter 20 times faster than that, you know? And it's, and it's longer. So you have, that's not me making a diss at you. I'm just saying sometimes we need to approach the Bible like a story rather than I read two verses. We would never read Harry Potter two verses at a time. Like, man, I'm going to figure out what she meant by that and figure out the original language. I mean, like, Read the story. Get immersed in it, okay? There's a time for study, but there's also a time to get familiar with the story and the legacy of God. So you've got, remember, your people, your partners, in doing these things that um, God's for you, he's with you. And so the Messiah age, um, let me just write out some passages of scripture for you. The Messiah age is marked, we've got Matthew 26. This is when Jesus talks about, he's having his last meal, and he says, you know, your, your sins are going to be forgiven. And he's saying, like, your sins are going to be forgiven through the work I'm doing right now. It's going to be done through me. He's literally fulfilling all these covenants that were made. Third one, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. The fourth one, and these are all pointing to the Messiah age, what this is all about. 1 Corinthians <coughs> Chapter 11, verse 25. And then I literally, there are so many things that describe in Hebrews, Jesus is the Messiah age. Who is Jesus, the Messiah, and what did he do? It's high priestly language. What I want to give you, this is quoting Jesus. Acts is quoting Peter. Romans is quoting Paul. Corinthians is quoting Paul. And Hebrews, we do not know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Most people just throw it up to Paul because he wrote everything else, it seems like. But I always call it the author of Hebrews. In fact, women were so um, devalued that this being an anonymous book really, in my scholarship, leads me to believe. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of 50-50. Easily could have been a woman because even the writing is unlike much of the other writings. It's, it's the detail and the way it's just it's more nurturing and more relational. And so, um, but that if a woman had written one of those, it just wouldn't have been as credible. However, we just know that it's the author to the Hebrews. Uh, but if you read that, you're going to hear the author of Hebrews just talk about how important the Messiah is and was and will forever be. But this is the Messiah. It's just to describe the forgiveness of sins. The Messiah will come forgive sins. Peter says he does forgive sins. Romans 10, Peter, uh, Paul saying the same thing. First, First Corinthians 11, 25 saying the same thing. And then I just said the whole book of Hebrews, but specifically Hebrews 4, 9, and 11, and 10, and 1, and 3, and 2. <laughs> when you keep reading the Bible... It's very hard to have a favorite verse. It really, really is. You'll, you'll love every one of them. It really gets that great. So after the Messiah age, we have the spirit age. Jesus said, I am actually looking forward to the day when I get out of here, not because I'm tired, not because I've given up on you, not because you're annoying to me, not because I just want to take off this earth suit. He's like, I'm so excited because a better day is coming. 
The guy who led me to Christ, J.D. Greer, he wrote a great book, and he's not, he, he didn't grow up, he was um, nothing against Baptist, but he was Baptist, didn't even really know about the Holy Spirit, and he wrote a book called Jesus Continued because he's really, the Holy Spirit has just shown up in his life, and it's called Jesus Continued, and he says, would, what would you do if you could live in the day that Jesus pointed to and said, that's the time I'm looking forward to, the spirit age. That's the time we live in now. In the spirit age, the only thing after the spirit age, boys and girls, is the garden city. That's it. And so, like, Jesus is like, man, I'm excited about that age. You know, I thought about it. Like, what scene would you like to go back to? You guys want to go back to Eden? You want to live in the covenants? I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you do. Maybe. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Like, I want to wander for 40 years. That'd be awesome. Messiah age could have been awesome, but if you're in the Messiah age, Jesus would be like, hey, you missed it, man. The next one's going to be even better than this. Like, what, Jesus? What are you going to And then the spirit age happens. Spirit age. Spirit age is some of the most stunning scriptures. I mean, goodness gracious, this stuff's just, whoo, it's amazing. All right, spirit age. Uh, can you guys read the red, or should I put it in a different color? Red hard? Yeah, sorry. I just tried to do, you know, like the red for, like, Bible. I do that on my mommy's writing on my computer. Uh, all right, let's start with Matthew 28. Anybody remember what that is? Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus says... All authority has been given to me. So, go. So he's saying, hey, everything's given to me. Partner, I'm handing it to you. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Like, Jesus, where are you going? He's like, hey, you can have all of me. You're like, ah, I just got it all. I did too. I did too. I did too. I mean, it's just amazing. So, all authority over everything. What does that sound like? Be fruitful. Multiply. Subdue. Dominion. Who's... More authoritative than Jesus. No one. So he's like, all authority, the spirit age. That's why Jesus is like, oh, it's better for me to go because I know that like, I hang out with James and John and Peter. You guys see we kind of go off on our own. I'm going to be going off with you all the time. No separation ever. I'm looking forward to it. So Jesus, if you think about Matthew 28, like, oh, I got to go convert people to Christianity. Yeah, that's part of it, but convert people into the kingdom that they belong to for eternity. It's not just a statement. It's a whole new family and lifestyle going back to who they belong to. You could also call the spirit age, by the way, the church age, if you want to. Number two, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 16. This is, no eyes seen, no ears heard, no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. In the next section, it's like, whoa, man, that's pretty cool. The whole next section is, and no one knows the mind of God or the deep things of God except for the Spirit of God. Like, wow, why are you guys showing up? And, like, and that Spirit has been given to you so that you might know the very deep things of God and search the mysteries of God and know Him fully. It's like, oh, you weren't showing off. You were like, well, that's amazing. He's like, and that's what's in you. So the Spirit age, you have the authority that Jesus walked on earth with. So people influenced, sacrificial servant, property, he walks on water, dead or raised, Disease are healed. He rests, takes time to pray. He's, have you ever, did you ever catch Jesus sprinting or running or burnt out or stressed in the scripts? He's stressed when he's thinking about going to the cross, so there's exceptions to that, but he's not busy. I mean, he has conversations with people, and other people are like, you should have used your time better because you talked to that person so long, that guy died. And Jesus is like, man, but her story was awesome. And yeah, I know that she, her issue of blood and her hemorrhaging for 20 years got healed, but 
me talking with a woman, you guys will realize that you know, rabbis and men aren't supposed to talk with women in public, so part of the reason I stayed and talked with her is so that you would know that I'm the Messiah when I resurrect, but other people would know when he was on earth, he valued women, and he talked with women. He didn't only restore her body, he restored her socially and put her in a proper place. And Jesus is that guy, you know that, right? Yeah, we celebrate women's rights and all the things are moving. We, we are catching on really, really slow. Jesus broke all the boundaries way back then. So that kind of authority, baby. Yeah. First Corinthians is like, and not only do you have the authority of Jesus, you have the very spirit of God the Father and God the Son living in you. What's that like? The deep mysteries of God. I, every time I read that passage, I'd, I'd like to get this, this picture out of my mind, but it's like, uh, it's like a huge roller coaster just going through all the mysteries you just discovered. It's like the Spirit's like, you ready? Hold on. Whee! You come back like, God is like. I don't even like roller coasters. That's why I don't like the illustration. <laughs> but it's, it's basically saying like you could never go that high. You could never go that low. You could never go that fast. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. 8 through 9 is how we're saved. We're saved by grace through faith. It is a work of God that no one should boast. It is a gift that we've been given. And then Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, tells us how the spirit age works. We do not fight against physical beings. We are spirit beings. The battle that we fight is a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. So now, though we see Jesus, and we looked at him, we said, we saw Jesus, and we saw him physically, but he was, he was genuinely, God has been, Yahweh has been spirit all his life, and it says, we regard him thus no longer by his physical body. We regard him by his sacrifice and who he is spiritually and in the same way, Paul makes a huge emphasis. We do not live for what is seen. We live for what is unseen. The spirit age for the church and to be the spirit age people that God intended, that Jesus said, I'm looking forward to you guys. You guys are the last scene of scripture so that in your lifetime, the garden city, the city of God descends out of heaven and makes its place right on earth with the people on the property he intended. I mean, it's, a, it's just absolutely stunning. So Ephesians makes it really clear. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against spirits and principalities. John 14. What's that going to look like that we have the authority of Jesus? What's it going to look like that we have, um, we, we have the Holy Spirit in us? What's it look like that we're fighting against spirits and uh, things that are unseen and not seen? Jesus says, hey, when the Spirit comes, the Helper, you will do greater things than I. That's John 14, verse 12. And then, uh, last but not least, Galatians. This is the Spirit Age, Galatians. Chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. You now have been adopted as sons and daughters. And the spirit that has been given to you cries out, Abba, Father, so that you truly are sons and daughters, that you have a permanent person, that you genuinely, Paul describes you and says, you actually are the temple of God. God has chosen in his wisdom to come and dwell in you permanently. The spirit's also been called a guarantee or a deposit. The guarantee and the deposit gets cashed in when the garden city is there. The fruition of the spirit age in the church reaches its zenith and its pinnacle at the wedding feast where God comes and adores his bride. So creation would have been cool. We know how to read that now. There's context. Covenant, there's context. Messiah age, there's context. 
Jesus is the figure. So when he rebukes or does this, he's saying, when he rebukes somebody, he's like, people aren't supposed to treat people that way. You shouldn't use your power and influence. That's a property language. Don't use your power and influence to, to do that to people. That's wrong. So lawyers and police officers bear the image of God when they restore order and make things right, bring justice. They're a person using and helping people use, sometimes in a forceful court of law, to use the property right. It's not, remember, it's not just your, your address. It's, it's all of you. It's all the things you have. And then the last piece is going to be the Garden City. And obviously, Garden City, it is prophesied about, I mean, it's, it's prophesied about in, uh, in Genesis 3, but all the prophecies and all of it, all these covenants are all pointing to a day when, when Eden would be restored. And it's not just going to be a little garden for a few. All nations, you see this in uh, Re- Revelation 7, I think, that all nations, all tribes, all tongues will come and confess that he is Lord. There is a garden city where God dwells, and I've already read that to you. And so the scenes of Scripture, when you read these things, you know, when you look at Revelation that way, that should be like the picture on the wall for you to go, oh, that's right, I remember who I am, and I remember whose I am. And I'm going to go help every person, wherever they are, know or learn or reintroduce them to who they are and whose they are. That's what matters. But it's not just an intellectual thing. Jesus lived a full-bodied life. And he helped us see things we never could have imagined. He goes, oh, my word. When, when the spirit age comes, which will be my bride, the church, they're going to see and prize the groom, me, by the way my bride is. And they're going to go like, wow, you're so attractive. And, and they're going to see Christ in you and the bond that you have, which is reflection of Trinity. I left the, obviously, this is a, the backside of the cross, and that's... Um, the Holy Spirit on fire in a good way, like burning bush fire, not like charred. And I left Father, um, Father blank because it, Father has never um, been seen in scriptures at all. So, And then that's just like my little rendering of Garden City. Okay? So I want you to, by the way, if you haven't, like, yeah, like what you're doing right there, I want you to, I mean, color these things in. I mean, I want these to be enduring images for you. And you, if you want to, I was going to do all this, but I was like, no, I want you guys to fill these in. Like, draw creation back here. And then draw, like, that separation in whatever covenant looks like. Draw that. Maybe you put a rainbow. You put, a, you put Abraham and you put David. And, and then there's the Christ. And then you have between Messiah age and the spirit age. This could look like Jesus' life. Then you've got the spirit age. And, like, we're right here, guys. We're right here. That's <laughs> awesome. We're right here. And it's not going to be like a lot of our movies that just kind of, like, disappoint towards you. Like, oh, I was hoping for a better ending. It's going to be the best ending. (laughs) And we are partakers. We are participants. Jesus and his wisdom. Yahweh and his wisdom. Plan A is us to be here to bring about the culmination, the fruition of all the days of time. That's where we're at. That's what we're doing. Why do people matter? Because God's presence is with people. He's committed to people, and he wants to partner with them. He doesn't just want them to submit and ask for forgiveness. He says, yes, I, I forgive you of your sins. I've removed all of that. Doesn't that make you love me? Not in a needy way. Yes, I love you. He's like, great. I'll serve you. He goes, no, let's just partner. Let's just do life together. 
Come on, let's just, let's just do this together. I want to go with you. Well, you don't care about this or that. Like, you don't care about the little things or the big things. When we say that to God, it's just, do you see how hell narrative that is? Have you ever found a time when God didn't care? Somebody who doesn't care does not point out your problem. They're more concerned about how they feel and how you feel about them in a bad way. God pointed out our problems because we forgot who we are. And he's committed to us knowing who and whose we are. Not just that he can, I mean, he, remember, he didn't create because he was lonely or bored or thinking like, I'm going to try something. He's like, I'm going to dwell with the creation. And you realize that the Garden City and, and Eden is somehow the physical manifestation of the ineffable, indescribable. That's, that's, a, that's beyond, for me as an artist, that's beyond what I can fashion or put in, in material. The ineffable, indescribable Yahweh before anything was made, makes everything. And when the real marring of the fall in sin and rebellion is that we're not truly seeing what Yahweh is like anymore. But yet he adopted partners. In our time, he adopted partners, committed himself to you, and is not changing the deal. Ever. (coughs) Fully committed to you. Not just to do stuff, but to partner with you. Questions? Comments? What did you hear? Well done, brother. What do you say? Well done. Oh, thank you, brother. Thank you. Questions, comments, what did you hear? What's the Spirit saying to you? What's stirring? Yeah. He's not giving up on us. How many times we go to never. Yeah. Yeah. He's a pioneer, yet every single step along the way matters. Nothing gets discarded. It's beautiful. It's yeah, he, he right. He's a collector and, and remember good, very good. Yeah. No, doesn't need to be better. It's the best. Lost <laughs> partners to bring it back. It's, it's amazing. And he's doing it, I mean, like, plan A, right here. And that, I mean, that's, and this, as a side note, as a church, that's why we don't want to do lesser things. And I feel, I feel like for us as a church, this is a lead pastor talk for a moment, but to do a bunch of programs, I feel like we could start to do lesser things that are kind of about, it could just get us stuck into us trying to become the people rather than saying, oh, we are the people. And trying to make sure our, our little thing feels heaven-like rather than saying heaven's supposed to go out so that's a little bit of explanation that way Nate? yeah when i'm at the singing when i'm witnessing and i'm telling people about Christ and passing to you know what i see mm-hmm. everything i've learned here about about him he's still doing miracles mm-hmm. still doing miracles but yeah. only to those that believe though mm. gotta believe and the faith is there and the faith is going to increase the faith is going to grow yeah he's still doing miracles that's right isn't it sweet that he does it through people? Hello? Through people for people. Yeah. Your last sheet. Let me just, um, these are my closing comments because I want to be good on time. And I've got one minute, and that's okay. Whoa. Um, <laughs> this sheet with the most important P's and the P's serving a signpost. I don't need to teach it because it's right there in front of you. Those are the definitions. There's examples and then questions you can ask in the passage. This is not exhaustive, but hopefully this gets you going. 
Last but not least, your last three sheets is your take home. This gets you ready for next week where we will be breaking up into smaller groups. We will be at the City Lights offices next week. We have our offices plus the Cancer Society building. We're all <coughs> going to be meeting there. And we're going to be breaking up into three groups. A group with me, a group with Oliver, and a group with Stephen. Stephen, you want to raise your appendage? Just say, hey, that's Stephen over there. And we're going to be going through this. So you want to bring this back complete. Please come next week because... You see how I was like, hey, what's the covenant season about? What's the covenant scene? We're not just going to leave that unanswered. We're going to go through these passages and more passages together and actually practice how to read the scriptures and find treasure worth treasuring, which is who is Yahweh, who are his people, and what's his people doing on the property. So we will see any time we find a problem or a provision or a, a promise, whatever we'll see, we'll go like, oh, wait, that's pointing to something. And we'll go, okay, what's that pointing to? And we're going to be in smaller groups, and we're going to actually work through it so that it's, I've tried to model it, give you imagery, give you the teaching, and next week we're actually going to practice the whole time to get this so that our hope is, from three weeks of equipping environment, you will read the scriptures in ways you've never read it before. I mean, not like you've just been given this and you, you, didn't, you didn't read the Bible well, but hopefully you'll be able to really treasure what the scripture is saying, hey, treasure this and don't miss it, okay? So please, please do that. Uh, and we, you can see, like, we modeled it for Genesis 15, 1 through 11. Genesis 15, 20, 12 through 20 is blank for you. And then the other ones, we do one for you, and then you do the other one. You can add more to it. You can add more pages, anything you want. Ephesians is all blanky-poo, okay? So you guys get to try that one. But you got training wheels there. Then we take the training wheels completely off. Then we put one training wheel on for Acts, and then no training wheels at all, and you're on a unicycle. It's going to be awesome. Or you're just floating. Whatever. Any questions?